1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study on the book of Judges, Israel's tribes gathered together to decide how to deal with those who raped a defenseless concubine in the town of Gibeah. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 20, verse 1. The title of the message is, How Not to Solve Society's Problems.
2: Judges chapter 20, Judges chapter 20. We are rapidly coming to the close of Judges. And the whole theme of the book of Judges is it shows us why we need the King of Kings Israel had no king in that day, the Bible tells us. It repeatedly says they had no king and there was no standard. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And so we have these last five chapters of the book of Judges that illustrate just what happens when God isn't our king and his word isn't our standard. Chapter 19, it ended with each tribe in Israel receiving a gruesome package from the Levite here, realizing that no such wickedness had ever been done in Israel's history. The leaders of each tribe decide to gather as one nation in Mizpah to discuss how to deal with it. Now, despite their united efforts to solve this horrible problem, as we move forward, we're going to see they only end up making matters worse because they refuse to acknowledge their own compromise. If we try to fix society's problems or our own personal problems without God being our king and his word being our standard, we are doomed to failure no matter how unified we are. So, chapter 20, we begin in verse 1. Then, it follows on verse 29 and 30, where they received this gruesome package of the violent crime that had been done to the Levites' concubine. Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man, from Dan even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead, unto the Lord in Mizpah. And the chief of all the people, even of the, all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. Now, the children of Benjamin had heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mizpah. So then said the children of Israel, Tell us how was this wickedness. So Israel holds court here concerning Gabeah's actions towards the concubine. And it mentions that they gather at Mizpah to hold court. It says all the children of Israel, every tribe came, including the tribe of Benjamin. We find out they come a little bit differently than everybody else in a little bit. But all the tribes of Israel are there. They are gathered together, it tells us, as one man. It means as if they were just one tribe. The tribes were very divided. They were very internal in that sense of to themselves. And oftentimes we'll see they don't even come to one another's aid they have rivalries and things like this as we've been looking through the book of judges but here they are unified it's like they were just one tribe all those divisions are gone because they are here unified to deal with this thing from dan the northernmost city in israel even to beersheba the southernmost city even the two and a half tribes that are on the other side of the river they've come too and they are there in the land unto the Lord at Mizpah, it says. Mizpah is about eight miles north of Jerusalem, and thus not far from the scene of the crime, probably only five or six miles away from Gabeah. Now, it mentions they come here unto the Lord. It's a phrase that's often used to describe the tabernacle, but they did not move the tabernacle to Mizpah here. We already know the tabernacle's in Shiloh. So it means when it says, to the Lord, that this had the tone of an official court. In other words, in the sight of God. That's what that means here. They were doing this in the sight of God as well of men. It was a very serious court assembly. And the tribal leaders in verse 2 initiate the court session. It says, "In the chief of all the people, the tribal leaders, even of all the tribes of Israel, they presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. So 400,000 soldiers have turned out for this court session There's probably other people there as well. And these guys, they present themselves. It means they took their stand. They opened the official court proceedings. Everyone didn't just show up to this thing. They showed up ready to meet out justice. They're ready to do some justice. Now, verse 3 mentions how Benjamin got there. For it says, now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mizpah. When 400,000 armed troops show up inside your borders, you know something's up. And so they do come. I don't know if they weren't invited. I don't know if they're not told, but that's how they find out something's going on. Now, it doesn't tell us who this is addressed to, but it says that then said the children of Israel tell us, how was this wickedness? How did this happen? We don't know who they're talking to, but it's the Levite who answers in verse 4. And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was slain, answered and said, I came into Gabeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to lodge to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and beset the house round about upon me by night, and they thought to have slain me, and my concubine have they forced that she is dead. And so I took my concubine, and I cut her in pieces, sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Behold, you are all children of Israel, so give here your advice and your counsel. And all the people rose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will any of us turn into his house." But this is the thing which we will do to Gabeah. We will go up by lot against it. And we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand out of ten thousand to fetch victual provisions for the people that they may do when they come to Gebeah of Benjamin according to all the folly that they have wrought in Israel. So here we see the Levite's testimony in verses four through seven, and he starts off by telling a half truth. It says, the Levite, verse 4, the husband of the woman that was slain answered and said, I came into Gabea, and belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to stay the night. That's true. The men of Gabea rose against me and, and surrounded the house upon me by night and thought to have slain me. I don't know if that's true. It's likely true. And my concubine, have they forced it? She is dead. So that's the part now where he definitely does not tell the full truth. Because, wait a minute, buddy. How about you left out the part where they demanded you, but you threw your concubine at their mercy? How about that? He also leaves out the part of his coldness when he found her in the morning dead outside. So the question is, is why did he leave this out? Why not bring up that important information? Well, quite simple. It's because it makes him just as guilty as the men of Gibeah, because he didn't stand up for her. But before anyone could question what he did do in her defense... What did you do to stop this? He tells them, well, this is what I did. I took my concubine and I sent you the gruesome package, for they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Lewdness is shameful, sexual sin, behavior. Folly means an outrageous, disgraceful thing, something that should never happen. Before scrutiny can be placed on his crimes, he drives everyone's attention to the horrible crime the men of Aqibia committed. And then he calls them to act. Behold, you are all the children of Israel. So give here your advice and your counsel. There's no need to ask any more questions. It's time to act. Now, Israeli law was really clear on how to handle these situations, and it was clear that action couldn't be taken until you were absolutely sure of all the facts. Deuteronomy chapter 13, it tells us exactly what to do in a situation that's similar to this. Deuteronomy 13, verse 12. If you shall hear, say, in one of your cities, which the Lord your God has given to you to dwell in, saying, certain men, children of Belial. That's who these guys were described as in the previous chapter. They are gone out from among you, and they have withdrawn the inhabitants of the city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. In other words, this is an idolatry situation, but this scenario would apply as well. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold... If it be the truth and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, you shall surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. So this was a protocol that they had here. But that the Levite calls for action on his testimony alone. Under Jewish law, nothing could be established under the testimony of one person. The fact that he calls for action based on his testimony alone shows just how far off this guy is. He's supposed to know the law well enough to teach it to God's people. But where's the old man who took him in? Or where's the call to send an investigative team down to Gabeah? Those things are all absent because they would expose the Levites own compromises and they would bring him under judgment as well. Now, Any proceeding that starts off like that, where you don't have all the facts, where someone's trying to protect themselves, it is bound to reach an incorrect decision, even though it may seem like a no-brainer to mete out justice on the men of Gibeah, Something should be done, but not just to the men of Gibeah, to the Levite, and to some other individuals, and maybe even to the entire nation. Because of that, God isn't going to bless Israel's plans to deal with Gibeah. And lots of people on the side of justice are going to die as a result of Israel's self-righteousness and the ignoring of their own compromises. Well, they don't go back to the word. They just react. He said, "...and all the people arose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go to his tent, neither will we turn any of us into his house." This phrase one man is used to describe the unity of Israel only 3 other times in scripture and each of those occasions the phrase is only used once it just says it once it's used 3 times in this chapter to describe Israel's unity this is the most strongly united that scripture ever describes the nation of Israel is in this chapter I'm not saying it's the most united they ever were, but this is the most strongly united that scripture ever describes the nation of Israel. None of us are going home. None of us will ignore this wicked act. What will we do? Well, it says, but now this thing shall be the thing which we will do to Gabeah. We will go up by lot against it. We will keep them from doing this to anyone else ever again. And we're going to make sure that everybody's a part of this. Whether they're fighting or whether they're bringing provisions, everyone's going to be a part of this. Now, two thoughts here. First off, what is this mention of going up by lot? Well, it means that only one tribe will fight selected by the Lord. That's how they did things back then. They would go to the Lord and say, Lord, who do you want to do this? And then they'd draw straws or whatever, or they'd consult the high priest, and he'd pray, and he'd let them know. This is the only mention of the Lord participating in their choice to act or their plans of how to act. Just, you pick the tribe, God. You pick the tribe that's going to get the glory. Now, we already know that all of Israel has no king right now and no standard, not just Gabeah. And we see this evidenced in the Levites' numerous compromises all throughout the story from last chapter and in this one. Surely, surely the nation had to recognize that they were part of the problem and that Kabia was just the ugliest example. But they don't. There's no fasting, no weeping, no repentance, just anger. And then a desire to excise the ugly stain so they can all return to their less ugly but equally unyielded lives. Which brings us to a second thought the time that we find Israel most unified, at least as it's described by Scripture, is a time when God isn't their king and God's word isn't their standard. That means it is possible for a society to unify against a great evil without God being a part of it. And when a society does that, it will never solve the real problem. It will only bring further pain And more tragedy, always. Now, it appears at some point that the representatives from Benjamin left the proceedings because word now has to be sent to them of the court's decision, verse 11. So all of the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. Here it says it the third time. We are unified in this. We are together, we are locking arms. And the tribes, verse 12, the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what wickedness is this that is done among you? Now, therefore, deliver unto us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gabeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities unto Gabeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. Well, with Benjamin leaving the proceedings at some point, the rest of the nation clearly anticipates resistance. So it mentions here that they actually send word, it says in verse 12, they sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin. So they sent word, literally it means to every family in the tribe, hoping that some of them will decide to side with righteousness and arrest the men of Gabeah, rather than force the nation to go to civil war, to go to war against its own people. But that plea does not work. It says that the tribe of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of all their cities unto Gabeah to go fight against this 400,000-man army. Now, the question, of course, the burning question is, why wouldn't Benjamin arrest such horrible people? Why defend them? Why would they not deal with these folks? Why go to war with their own people? Verse 15 through 17 tells us. And the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of their cities, 26,000 that drew sword. So they're hugely outnumbered. This isn't just going to war to go to war. They are hugely outnumbered. Why would they do this? Why would they put themselves at risk? Well, it tells us. Beside the inhabitants of Gibeon. Why does it say beside? Why did they have 26,000 troops besides the men of Gabeah? Well, because the men of Gibeon were special part of their armed forces. Because the men of Gabeah numbered 700 chosen men. The phrase there, chosen, means the best of a kind or class. These men of Kabea were some of Benjamin's finest warriors. Verse 16 explains. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, and everyone could sling stones at a hair breath and not miss. The word sinister, you ever, you ever use that? Oh, that's that guy's sinister. The word sinister actually comes from a Latin word that means on the left side. Ancient gods bestowed blessings with their right hand but curses from their left hand. So left-handed warriors were considered marked by these deities as especially deadly. So you've got 700 left-handed, basically assassins that are out there. These guys are the elite troops of Benjamin. They've probably gotten them out of tons of binds where they fought the people around them, and they're not going to arrest them. Now, these guys are slingers. Now, ancient slinger squads could propel stones at speeds up to 90 miles an hour. I always chuckle when people go, how can the Bible be true? David killed a giant with one stone. Yeah? You ever read history? The Roman historian Livy tells us that an entire Carthaginian fleet was kept from anchoring at a Roman city by 4,000 Roman slingers in the Second Punic War. These guys were deadly, man. And so the tribe of Benjamin is saying, listen... We understand they did something bad, but these are good men generally, our best warriors. They've done a lot for our tribe in these difficult times, and a few bad apples aren't a good enough reason to execute all of them. And thus, despite the overwhelming odds, a civil war breaks out in Israel. And at this point, the rest of Israel finally decides, well, maybe we should seek the Lord about this. And they do it, kind of, sort of. Verse 17. And the men of Israel beside Benjamin were numbered at 400,000 men that drew sword. All these were men of war. And the children of Israel, they arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah will go up first. (laughs) The word there to ask counsel of God means to ask God a question. Simple. They went up to the tabernacle, to the house of God. So they don't go to Mizpah. They go all the way up to Shiloh when Benjamin comes out to fight. and They say, no, we're going to fight you they go up and they ask God a question. Which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The question is not, should we go up, Lord? Or how should we go up? But which tribe will get the honor of defeating Benjamin and bringing justice to our land? They thought this would be easy. They're not even going to send all 11 tribes. They're just going to send one. We outnumber them over 10 to 1. We've got our plan, God. We just need you to sign off on it by deciding which tribe gets the glory for doing it. God answers him, send Judah, biggest tribe. But God doesn't sign off on their plan. Look at verse 19. And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and they encamped against Gabeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, the tribe of Judah. And the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gabeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gabeah, and they destroyed down to the ground. Literally, it means they put 22,000 men of Judah in the grave. That's 22,000 men that aren't returning home to their wives or their kids, their families. They're never going home again. I don't know how many troops Judah brought, but if you divide 400,000 by 11, even a conservative guess means that the tribe of Judah lost over 50% of their soldiers. This was a devastating loss. Israel came out to wipe out a city, and one of their own tribes has been cut in half. Why would God let this happen? They're fighting a great evil, right? I believe their reaction gives us the answer. Look at verse 22. And the people, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the day first day. The word phrase, encourage themselves, it means to rally one's strength. The soldiers know no, we got this. We can do this. We just need to stick to the plan. We can do this. This phrase, to encourage oneself, is the same that's used to harden your heart. We can do this. There's another time where God's people found themselves in a place they shouldn't be. David and his men in the land of the Philistines, you Remember? David flees the land of Israel. Remember the first time he fled, where did he go? He went to Moab. And then God sent a prophet over there and said, what are you doing in Moab? You're an Israelite, get back in the land. And so David comes back in the land. Of course, Saul's chasing around. And finally, David just goes, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm gonna go somewhere safe. And so David goes to the land of the Philistines. And to exist in the land of the Philistines, he has to join the Philistines army. He has to join with the army of the enemy, the people that are killing his people. And while he's there, he has to lie to the Philistines and say that he's raiding Israeli cities to stay in the land of the Philistines. When in fact, he's not doing any of that. He's actually raiding Philistine cities and blaming it on the Israelis. And David, it's working out perfect for him. Great, everything's good. And then finally... They're going to war with Israel. It's going to be a big, full-scale war. And the king of the Philistines turns to David, and he says, David, you and your men are coming with me. You've been so faithful to me. You've proved your loyalty. Come on down. We're going to finish this. We're going to get rid of your enemies forever. And something happens when they get to the border of Israel, and the four other lords of the Philistines said, what's that guy doing here? He's killed tons of our people in the past. And they convince the king and say, we don't want this guy with us or his men. They'll turn on us. And so David has to go home, not home, but to the home he's made away from home. And when he gets there, turns out all their kids, all their wives have been attacked by the Amalekites and taken away. And all David's men are ready to kill him. They're ready to stone him. You did this. We shouldn't be here. And they're ready to kill him. And what does the scripture say that David did in that moment? When God allowed tragedy to get David's attention, we see a very different response from David in first Samuel Chapter thirty, verses one through six. In first Samuel chapter thirty, verses one through six, it says, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag, that's where he had made his home base in the Philistine lands, on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captive that were therein. They didn't slay any, either great or small, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke about stoning him because the soul of every man was bitter. They had been bitter about, it, about this for a while, fighting with the Philistines, being where they shouldn't be. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now that's a pretty low moment. I mean, what's David going to do? Well, he has a very different reaction than the nation of Israel. It says, but David encouraged himself, period, Is that what it says? He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's very different than just saying we can do this, guys, to rally your strength, to harden your heart. God gets the nation's attention through this. And so in verse 23, we do see that there's weeping. We do see that they're broken now at least a little bit by what's going on. But they don't actually repent like David did. Not yet. Verse 23 says, And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. And they asked God a question again, saying, Shall I go up against battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? You can tell at least now it's affected them a little bit. Prior to this, we don't see an ounce of brokenness over what's happened. These are their own brothers they're planning to wipe out. Shouldn't there have been weeping before this? They're aware that it's their brothers now at the heavy cost of their actions. But there's still no self-examination. No repentance. So when they ask God if they're supposed to continue the fight, God says yes. Because God is willing to do whatever it takes to get their full attention.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com